0: I'm Chase Jarvis. I'm grateful for your time. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Light Source.
1: And welcome to episode 45 of Light Source, the official podcast of Studiolighting.net, the website that introduces photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher.
2: And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockPhoto.com. Now, on today's show, we have with us Chase Jarvis, and uh, you can check out his website at www.chasejarvis.com. Real easy to follow there. He is a commercial shooter. Uh, he does a lot of sports, lifestyle, uh, popular culture photography. Uh, does a little travel photography as well. Has some amazing clients, people like volvo nike microsoft columbia sportswear rei patagonia jeep red bull and many 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 more i had found out about them from bill sending me a video clip of some ninjas that he was shooting and some behind the scenes b-roll stuff when we were working on our sorry video episodes (laughs) (laughs) chase did an awesome ninja video ninja photo shoot (sighs) they were incredible and we talk about it with him during the show tells us a little bit about the background of some of the people that were involved with it and it's seeing the behind the scenes of everything that went into this and in that video, and then actually seeing the shots that were produced out of it, it. It was just amazing seeing everything. Very cool stuff, man. Yeah, definitely cool stuff. So check out Chase's website and then hang tight and we'll uh, talk with him a little bit about traveling and he steps into the backyard and uh, talks to us with some airplanes going overhead. <laughs> right. so you can feel like you're, you're just sitting around on the patio talking with Chase.
1: <laughs> it was a very cool conversation. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I also wanted to mention a couple things about the website, studiolighting.net. The first thing is that uh, we are really excited to launch a brand new feature on the site, which is uh, in the past we've answered questions that people have sent to us on the show through our email address or you know written to us from the contact form on the site. Uh, But with some help from our friends at snapfactory.com, we're launching a whole new series of video tutorials, which, well, I guess they're tutorials, they're more like Q&A sessions where... Uh, we'll take some of the questions that you guys send in and we'll answer them in video form. So that's pretty cool stuff. And the first one just launched today. Now, is that the one that you had showed me, uh, the other day online? Yeah. Uh, well we did an episode zero, which was kind of like a test, sort of a beta thing. And we'll be able to get to that in that section of the website also. But the first, uh, actual Q and a video that we're calling digital photography one-on-one Mark actually tackles the subject of key shifting and what your shutter speed has to do with things when you're using a flash. So it's pretty cool. That one is really great, because I've heard
2: this explained a number of times before, but it's never quite sunk in until I've actually seen it explained this way. So Mark did a a wonderful job with it, and I look forward to seeing more of what he has to say.
1: Yeah, it's going to be great. So head on over to the site for that. And the other thing I wanted to mention was that we have a new contributor to the site. He's doing a rocking job. His name is David Griffin. And for those of you guys who hang out in the Flickr forums with us, you'd recognize David's name. He's he's got a lot of really cool images in his Flickr feed. And David started contributing articles to StudioLighting.net, and there's four or five of them up there that are just really cool. A couple product reviews. David's calling himself the Prince of Cheap, <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome because he's showing us how to how to do awesome lighting without spending a whole bunch of money. So. If you haven't seen any of those of that stuff, you need to head over to studiolightning.net dot and check it out. Yeah, definitely. I I need to uh, start falling into
2: that realm a little bit more instead of throwing money away on equipment. It seems.
1: Yeah, and if you're a beginner, he's just written an article about choosing the right amount of power for your strobes and stuff like that. So, oh, that's a yeah. Sounds like a good uh good. We've been getting a lot of questions in
2: the Flickr forum, too about people asking about buying stuff and what to get. Right. There was one I saw the other day, someone, they listed it as a newbie question for asking about accessories, and they asked if accessories are universal or specific to a manufacturer. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, it definitely is. It looked like they were asking specifically for alien bees, like they wanted to get an alien bee and they wanted to know if they would be limited as to which accessories they could choose. The short answer is, well, yes and no. Um, a, lot <laughs> <Right. of> the, <laughs> a lot of the manufacturers do make modifiers that will fit on different brand lights. Alien B's use what is known as the the Balcor mount. So if you're looking at modifiers that you're looking to purchase, look for Balcor mount under the speed ring setting or whatever you want to get. And and then those modifiers would fit on that. Now we've used some of the PhotoFlex soft boxes in our Alien B quick rings and mounted them to our Alien B boxes. I believe I've even used some of the FJ Westcott boxes. On the Alien B speed rings as well.
1: Yeah, the thing about the Alien B is it has a spring mount. Which, if you can get a solid speed ring and actually mount it on there with the spring mount, this is strong enough to hold a lot of different styles of speed speed rings for softboxes and stuff. Um, even though, like the PhotoFlex one that you mentioned, actually has uh, a key and groove connection to its to its PhotoFlex MonoLite. But because it still has a circular ring inside, we were able to mount it to the Alien B's. So, I like their I like their mounting system for that reason. It's pretty flexible.
2: Yeah, and the other factor too is you know, depend. I mean, it's, the softbox is really just built of rods. So, if you have a speed ring that works on your Alien B, for the most part, most of those rods will fit into that system. It just might take a little more strength to bend one into to, to get it into that
1: slot to start out with. Right. So the legitimate answer is that you should probably, you know, if if you're not trying to save money or use other gear that you already have, there are in fact speed rings for each different monolight brand and every manufacturer is going to recommend you use their original equipment for the best connection. Uh, But the illegitimate answer or the studio hack answer is that a lot of times (laughs) you can get it to work with, with whatever you need to do. But I will say, for example, the... Larger light modifiers on the spring mount, sometimes if it's not designed for the spring mount, you could have some slippage and some things coming off where they're not supposed to. So you got to be careful with your stuff that way. Yeah, slippage is not a good thing. No,
2: not in the studio. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Well, back to your point also about um, the Prince of Cheap. Someone had posted in the Light Source discussion forums on Flickr about a DIY $6 snoot accessory for Alien bee lights. Yes. And I think I'm going to be building one of these.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool looking. I thought that uh, I thought it was an interesting use of PVC. It seems like photographers are really good with with, uh, <laughs> with misusing plumbing equipment for some reason.
2: I'd love to know what the connection is with that. It's kind of funny, and I like the way that the people used straws to make the honeycomb pattern at the end of the opening. Right.
1: Very, very ingenious. Very cool. I think so too. In fact, I think I saw on Strobus' blog. That he's uh he's started like an underground campaign to collect all the black straws that they could from Panera bread and and a couple of other places cheesecake <laughs> Factory, because it makes cool honeycomb grits when you glue the straws together and, and cut them down so interesting yeah go out and go out and get all the black straws you can find
2: and then sell them to strobus <laughs> there you go <laughs> well while we're still on the Flickr discussion you have a uh, a very interesting uh, extension to Firefox for use with Flickr.
1: yes i feel like i have a, a version of Flickr that everyone should have because i downloaded better flicker i think it's from lifehacker and basically what it is is a browser extension for firefox like you mentioned because firefox is the coolest browser around and you can download free add-ons for it the add-on allows you to have new features in Flickr that you don't have by just visiting the site because it actually embeds some code in your page when you're there And a couple of things that it does for you is for, like, when you have multiple size images, people allow you to download all the different sizes. With Flickr, the way it comes out of the box, you have to click on that link and then click on another link after that to see all the different sizes. But this gives you a little pull-down right on the homepage of somebody's feed that you can literally just, like, pull down and pick the image size that you want to look at. And it also builds in a little loop tool, kind of like what you would see in Aperture or Lightroom that you can like magnify sections of the image by moving your mouse around. Just totally cool. It makes makes browsing through Flickr a lot easier. And a bunch of other little additions, things that make it easier to have conversations inside of comments and stuff. So got to check out better Flickr.
2: Yeah, I just installed it, but I didn't want to close on my windows. So, I, uh, <laughs>
1: so I'm not able to see how cool it is quite yet. So, Well, I will put a link in the show notes, and everybody head out and download that. If you're a Flickr user, you're going to love this and probably one of the last things
2: that we should talk about and and this is going to be the best way to waste your time because uh, you've wasted my time with it now already <laughs> still along the same theme there's a website it's called flickercombat.com and it's it's kind of like uh, the hot or not or you know it serves up two photos and you're supposed to pick which one is better and they have a lot of different categories obviously it defaults to babes <laughs> right um well, we and recommend you go to the autos category. To we do?
1: Yeah.
2: I, I found it very hard to tear myself away from the babes. <laughs> but they also have like views, which is for like landscapes type photos and cats and dogs and guys and why are guys so far down the list compared to babes? Yeah, I'm not really sure. <laughs> it's, well, I have a hunch. I, I do too. It's, um, <laughs> I think it has something to do with uh, click rankings. Yeah, And then there's another cool one that says arts and they pull up like little artsy graffiti ish type stuff and uh it's pretty cool you just click on the one that you like and then it serves you up a new pair and it shows you how how you voted compared to the other people and I don't know, it's it's kind of a cool way to find some uh, interesting photos from
1: from Flickr. so maybe this would be a good way to discover cool photographers
2: definitely definitely some interesting stuff we should probably get into the show since we've rambled quite a bit here in our, our brief intro
1: right the, we know everybody loves the rambling so uh let's get to the interview
2: And on this edition of The Late Source, we have with us this evening uh, the wonderful and amazing Chase Jarvis. Uh, if you've seen any of his images on the web uh, in magazines, in PDN, uh, I believe you're, you've won a number of awards with them and the APA and just amazing, amazing work. Thanks for being on the show with us. This is uh, great to talk with you.
0: My pleasure, guys. Well, before
2: we get too far into things, you're a pretty young guy. You're you're 35 years old, same as us.
0: I'm actually 18. Yeah, 18. <laughs> <That sounds laughs> <different>. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I'm 35, and uh, I'm happy about it.
2: So, how did you get this far in your career and getting as successful as what you are as young in your career is what you what it is.
0: You know, I, I get asked that on a fairly regular basis, and I wish I had a great, like canned answer for it, but. Uh, I don't. I think my background is probably an interesting amalgamation of a of a bunch of different, oh, I guess niches, uh, niche, as the French would say. The the uh, having been a, a, I was a kind of a jock in high school, which you know I used to be proud to talk my to tell my, about myself, and then I was embarrassed that I was a jock, and now whatever it is, what it is. But I used to play a lot of sports, and and. and uh, went to college on a soccer scholarship, so I was around to kind of a lot of cameras, and that was always interesting to me, so there's this kind of athletic thing and that tied me to cameras. And then um, I was always a little bit artsy mentally, and I, I, I took art classes in, college, or sorry, in high school, but not really uh, in any sort of organized curriculum. The concept of business was always intriguing to me, but most of all, I was kind of interested in philosophy and science. So I did the whole pre-med thing. That got really boring. <laughs> then I got deeply involved in philosophy, and in fact went to graduate school in philosophy. And wow. there I studied the philosophy of aesthetics, which is kind of like yeah. uh, value judgments on why things are, you know, why you like this photograph, or for that photograph, or why something is, this is moral and that is immoral. And it's just a really weird background that, kind of collided together in pictures and it all timed really well with my grandfather passing when I was just about to graduate college in uh, the mid-90s and all these things like I said this different weird background that I had and I got this camera and started taking pictures and it kind of just rolled out from there and I, I don't know how or why but I got very attuned to photography both creatively and artistically, and from a business perspective, relatively young. I did not go to photo school. And then to have been doing this now for 10 years, it just, it, first of all, it freaks me out that I've been anything in my life for 10 <laughs> years. I still feel like a child, but it's been a very quick ride, I guess. You know, like I said, 10 years goes by in a blink, but there's a certain commitment that you make when you're self-taught Uh, which I am entirely, never had any photo training or whatever, didn't go to any fancy photo schools. But it just seems to go so fast. Uh, You spend so much time with your nose to the grindstone learning and reading and testing and, you know, trying film, testing cameras, just really, really hungry for knowledge that it just seems like it goes so damn fast. And uh, so here I am at 35, and it's true, I have a pile of awards under the belt, but it's really less about the awards and more about the kind of pictures that are being made. And I've just been... Damn, I've been really uh, lucky and happy to have gone you know, to some of the places in the world that I've gone and seen some of the things I've seen. And get paid to go to these places is, uh, is, is pretty damn lucky, but I hadn't been without a lot of super hard work, for sure.
2: Well, it definitely comes through in your images. I mean, they're, they're fantastic. And for any of you listening at home and you want to follow along with us, point your web browser to www.chasejarvis.com, and they're spelled exactly the way they sound. And uh, number of portfolio images, a great lifestyle and sports sections. I, I love the images in there.
0: Well, uh, I appreciate the kudos. That's nice. <laughs> I actually get really tired of looking at my own pictures and <laughs> get I often get asked, "What you know? What's your favorite picture that you've taken?" Or what you... And it, it honestly, it changes weekly, if not monthly. That's cool. Uh, uh, and I think that's that's a good thing in that it means I'm taking pictures that I'm excited about. Uh, and, and the next job that I do is going to make a picture for the book or the next job after that. or You know, they're, they're, it's always evolving. And I guess that's one benefit from having a little bit of a, uh, I've never been officially diagnosed, but I think if I was tested, it would be confirmed that I have a little bit of an ADD personality that, that <laughs> <laughs> makes me uh, afraid to get tested, you know. <laughs> uh, that makes me want to be involved in a bunch of different things, and and you know that's one of the reasons that I've been playing video lately. And, and and why there's a lot of those that I'm in that because it's an interest to me. I've been asked to shoot some um, spots and TV spots lately. Yeah, uh, you know, it is this interesting, I guess, lucky place that I'm in right now where I get to do a whole bunch of different stuff. And and if I wasn't um, shooting. You know, in the studio one week and, and in Nairobi the next week, I think I would be bored. And that's a huge, huge perk of the job, for sure. It keeps things interesting and and, and keeps, me, keeps me on my toes, which is something I need.
1: The traveling comes from a lot of your commercial work, I assume?
0: Yeah, there's, you know, so much. I, I spend most of my time in Seattle and Paris. And ironically, not all that much commercial work happens in either one of those places. I mean, Paris is really picking its team right now, but... Typically, it's in, if it's in Europe, it's in you know, London or Italy, and if it's uh, or Germany, I guess. If it's in the U.S., there's a lot of you know, L.A. stuff, a lot of New York stuff, San Francisco. I mean, Seattle's picking up, but you know, no one's going to call that a huge market by any stretch. Uh, so what it means is that I do a lot, of, uh, a lot of road time, but it's something that I really enjoy. My wife, Kate, is uh, an executive producer for us, and a lot of our kind of uh, initial meeting and our background was based on travel. We we you know popped around Europe for a year when we were uh, a lot younger, and you know have a house abroad, and uh, we've lived in San Diego and Colorado, and travel travels a, is an important part of our life, and uh, and so it's really fortunate to be able to get to do that for your job, and not just go to any. You know, it's not like I'm a a train engineer who's, you know, sitting on Amtrak, you know, going all over the country, which, you know, can be very interesting in its own right, but uh, the, the the irony of this all is that we get paid to go to some of the just absolutely most absurdly beautiful places <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> it's really, it's really stupid. Uh, and so, yeah, a lot of that travel is for commercial work, and we can fly more than 100,000 miles a year working for a lot and of different th- folks, and we enjoy it.
2: And that's why you live by an airport, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah and
0: we, the steamboat Colorado didn't work so good because I was three <laughs> hours from Denver, which was uh, the nearest international airport, and so
1: I... Yeah. <laughs> well, now, some of your your commercial images are just are just amazing, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because I wonder if it's part of your your background with your philosophy of how people respond to imagery and stuff like that. You have somehow worked that into your commercial work. Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, how do you keep that dynamic kind of feel to your images and still pull off the commercial stuff. It's very cool.
0: Well, that's, I think if, uh, I'm, I'm, since I'm not an art director who's hiring me, I have to try and pretend that I am to answer the question. But I think what, you know, one or a couple of the things that, that, uh, highlight the reasons that I'm, I'm busy in my work is that, uh, there's a certain, element of my images that are grounded in in reality and grounded in authenticity and they feel kind of at once real and human and accessible but there's something that's just that's it's a je ne sais quoi it's, 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 I don't know what there's something that's just a little bit different and it's it's what I call stylized authenticity. So you've got this element, say it's a lifestyle element or a sports shot or whatever, that, that a lot of people can identify with it because it is rooted in some way, shape, or form in, in authenticity, but there's a uh, quality to it that is aspirational, that is slightly otherworldly. I don't was it uh, like Better Off Dead? There's this movie where the servers, the, the wait staff, is you have to wear a certain number of points of flair.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a office space. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. So it's kind of like uh, my images are kind of everyday Joes, but they have these certain points of flair to them that uh, I think differentiate them from a lot of uh, of the other work out there. And whether it's the you know the background, the location, the lighting, or the, the, the angle, even the post-production, uh, that's what ultimately I'm striving for. I'm striving for an image that's at once accessible, and uh, and a little bit stylized and out there, uh, and it's been a really good combination. So I take that to the to the bank with me every time I uh, I get asked to shoot a job, and it's a, it's been a great kind of hallmark. And I didn't really—it's one of those things when you go to art school, you say, "Oh, you'll have a style someday." And not that I've ever gone to art school, but uh, <laughs> i I'm told that that's what they tell you. But and, and if I'm asked to look back or when people criticize my work for in magazines or whatever, uh, I think those are the things that they key on. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's enjoyable for me to kind of walk in and be able to put a stamp on something. And I'm not often uber-conscious of the stamp that I'm putting on there, but uh, certainly when I walk away from a job or, you know, six days, six weeks, or six months later, I can look at it and say, yeah, yeah, it does, it feels like, this other job even though it can be completely unrelated so i've had a totally good time
1: yeah that's that's what i was going to ask you about because it's clear that you have a style and, it, and it's different and unique and i was wondering if that's something that you think of ahead of time like okay here's how i'm gonna here's how i'm gonna twist this one you know or, or this is the angle i'm going to use going into a shoot or does it just kind of happen
0: uh, i think it's a nice combination of both and, and when when i'm shooting for what i would call personal work which is most of my portfolio, and I've been around this platform for a long time as well, which is I really set aside time to shoot as much as possible for myself uh in in, in a kind of commercial produced fashion doesn't always happen because uh, I'm quite busy but if i'm if I'm planning one of those and it really is like straight out of my melon or straight out like, i I open the door to a lot of the folks in my office. We sit around. We have creative meetings, and if if we're doing something that's that's purely for our own portfolio or my portfolio, then we really like no holds barred, and that's part of what you saw in the, the uh, Chase Jarvis raw ninjas video. That was just you know four or five brainstorm sessions about how we could do some cool weird stuff. Um, when I'm shooting for a client. Yeah. I mean, there's often an expectation, you know, I'm looking at, at boards, you know, or at sketches or whatever, and we're headed out to create a certain, image, a a certain feel. And and I guess in both situations, when I'm shooting for myself and when I'm shooting for somebody else, I'll always kind of nail down the basics early on in the shoot. And then once you've got the basics and if it's, you know, personal work, then I can just go off the deep end And if it's commercial work, then the art director or the the creative director, they really loosen up when they know they got their business in the bag. Like, okay, nailed it. Now uh, it gives you a lot of opportunity to explore. And that's that's truly when a lot of the magical images or the images that I, uh, that have my kind of stamp on them get created is after the, I don't know, like you got one in the bag, so to speak, and then you can really, really, uh, to push some limits and and that's where the fun begins the whole the whole crew kind of gets involved there's a big kind of group think and when you start to lighten up a little bit on the art direction and let things kind of happen then there's a certain you know certain magic that 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 allows where uh, it's not so allowed when you're shooting to a very specific layout so
1: great we, we talk about lighting a lot on the show, and I was curious, in that process that you're describing where you start to kind of loosen up and you just kind of go with whatever everybody's you know, thinking would be cool, does the lighting come like first, or does the lighting come like, okay, this is what we want to pull off, now let's figure out how we're going to light it?
0: No, that's a, that's a great question. It's, uh, I'd say it, it's uh, part of both. There's a, a core component to how I like to shoot things, and when I, I referred earlier to kind of a stylized authenticity. If I'm going to shoot something, and, and our director says, okay, we're going to shoot the guy grabbing the surfboard and running to the beach. Then before, I I, definitely haven't looked at the tear sheets that they've shown me or at the layouts or whatever, but before committing to shooting in that kind of look that they want me to, I'll just say, hey, model, go grab that surfboard and go run to the beach. And I'll ask them to do it four or five times. And when I'm watching that process, just without any no art direction whatsoever, just hey, just do this, go through this motion like you would if there weren't 35 people sitting there watching you. And and I'll try and key in on some of the key little the little mini moments, the micro little slices of time. You know, if it's you know how he's adjusting the leash on his surfboard, or uh, you know when he puts the board on his head and looks out to the beach before he starts running, or you know whatever those little moments are, I'll try and focus on a couple of those. And then those are moments that I'll ultimately want to drill down on and focus on. Now, if there's lighting involved, to kind of bring it back to the lighting aspect. Uh, it's after I identify that moment that I'll start the lighting. And I usually don't do it the other way around. I don't set a bunch of lights up and then push a subject into the lights. It's definitely subject-driven. And then when you get the subject in the frame, be it in this kind of uh, make-believe little surfing vignette that I'm talking about or in you know any myriad of other opportunities, I want to see the subject move first. And then I'm going to bring in the lights and the the whole drama, you know? Right. So I I definitely work that way as opposed to uh, I've got the perfect lighting. Now let's go find an alligator. (laughs)
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's awesome.
2: I'm always putting the horse before the cart.
1: Yeah, me too. (laughs) Well, speaking of just, I guess, while we're on the topic of lighting a little bit, how do you decide what to bring on a shoot? Like, do you just load the van up with gear, or do you
0: like... yeah, you know, I wish I'm definitely a little bit of a or actually not me, but my crew is a little bit of a cub scout mentality in that in that regard, and that we really do try and come over prepared for for almost any situation. I mean, if we know we're not going to be shooting something definitely, then we'll avoid bringing the whole dog and pony show, but typically approaching each shoot. Um, a, hey, we don't know what this is going to bring, we don't know what the weather's going to be. And, and so much of what I do is on location, which, given that, you've got the, the challenges of Mother Nature. You've got weather, light, uh, you know, wind, no wind, um, passerbys, uh, even if you've got all the permits in the world, you can still get some crazies on set. There's, there's just a <laughs> million things that you can't prepare for, which is, you know, one of the things that actually interests me a lot about uh, about shooting out in the world as opposed to in a really controlled environment. But yeah, you know, we <laughs> the, the, the sad reality is we have to be prepared for a, a lot of different things to get pitched at us. And that's one of the things that I enjoy is, is thinking on my feet. And the folks that the pros that I think have a good reputation of being successful location shooters, uh, a good part of it, in addition to being a good artist, is, is being a good problem solver. Because the sun's never where it was in the drawing that you're <laughs> shooting up. The sun's, you know, the the street is always darker. The pavement's always darker than you thought it was going to be. The models always taller than you thought they were going to be. And and so there's so much problem solving that goes on uh, on the set that that is really that's an interesting and intriguing part that keeps me engaged, uh, you know, an emotional and a, uh, I guess a theoretical level. I I want to be able to think my way out of almost anything and. Part of that is is coming with the right set of tools to be able to overcome any of these challenges. Oh, cool. There's a lot of gear. that (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I I get mauled on my blog about uh, when are we going to see you packing for a trip? How do you pack your stuff when you travel? And and frankly, one of the reasons that I haven't done that uh, to this point is because it, it would be a huge post. The video <laughs> right. would be hours long. And, uh, so YouTube only lets you put in 10 minutes. Yeah, definitely. YouTube <laughs> yeah. only lets you post 10 minutes. And if, even if you cut out all the boring parts, it would, it would be <laughs> it'd be longer than that, man. Uh,
2: that's great. Since you're talking about problem solving on a shoot and stuff, one of the one of the old questions we used to ask a lot of people that we haven't in a while, and we've gotten really great stories out of it, and since you enjoy this, what is the the biggest disaster that has happened on set that you have seen
0: <laughs> the biggest disaster well i've seen people almost die on, you know, on the other side of my camera before from doing things that you know i guess uh i hate the term extreme <laughs> i, I want to lay it like a you know whatever i just it drives me insane but uh having photographed some of that you know much earlier in my career but I've seen some stuff go really south in front of my camera. I mean, uh, I haven't photographed anyone who, who actually uh, died, actually, while I was taking their picture, but but damn near. And and that's always really, really challenging to work with these situations that where the model-slash-stunt person-slash-athlete-whatever is, is in a position that really is a life-or-death position. You know, all the way from that kind of life-or-death angle to, uh, you know... Dealing with the weather. You can fly somewhere for, you know, you can fly to Chile or, or Alaska or something and, and sit there for two weeks. you got however many people and however much money is just going down the tube waiting for weather. Wow. And I mentioned earlier, that's one of the things that I really like about my job is getting to, you know, work on location where it is definitely more challenging and less predictable than than in a studio environment. But, you know, while you can hate that, it's also, it keeps you honest. And that's one of the things that I I'm always looking to, uh, you know, looking to be reminded that I'm I'm <laughs> I'm just a little speck on the ass of the earth, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, anytime you start thinking you're sweet, it's just going to get handed to you. So you might as well keep a humble perspective, and and uh, so a lot of it shooting outdoors has to do with everything from life and death to weather to uh, you know occasionally um, rigging goes out of you know, shooting something that requires rigging or uh, and then it's all the way down to stuff that if you're on a, a fashion shoot and uh, and the the jeans don't match the shirt, it's the end of the world. Oh yeah. You know? <laughs> oh my god, we've gotta have this shirt FedEx in from uh from Los Angeles. It can only you know the same day FedEx over be here at eight and then so you gotta find a way to twitter your thumbs. But that's there's plenty that goes wrong and it's a lot of, of being successful in this line of work is just mitigating Mitigating the challenges and uh, and making good pictures in in adverse conditions. If you're looking for something juicier, then I'll tell you about stories where people almost die. But otherwise, (laughs) no, that's (laughs) cool.
2: Actually, actually, I was was thinking more about like how the shoot itself almost fell apart, as opposed to the the subject himself.
0: Sure, you know, and that that happens (laughs) every other week. Uh, I feel like these things. like uh, if, if you know what goes into making a feature film, or you know what goes into just just the massive amounts of coordination. As I mentioned earlier, my wife Kate is an executive producer for us, and and we've got the producer on staff, Sarah, and lots of those guys just work their magic. And I'm gonna curse here, so uh, earmuffs for those of you who are under <laughs> underage. But in the <laughs> middle of a shitstorm so many things can go wrong when you're trying to take 20 people to a foreign country and half of them speak one language, half of them speak another language and you're trying to do a commercial shoot and there are just so many things that goes, that can go wrong and it just continually surprises me that, <laughs> that we're able to make, they were able to pull it off, you know, and it's a huge kudos to the huge kudos to the producers, you know, our staff producers, but, but also the, the production staffs that we use when we're, when we're working with somebody else who's got a bunch of uh, staffers and, and, there are so many ways for it to go wrong. I mean, uh, work visas at the last minute—you have just paid a heck of a lot of money for some fancy models, and their work visas don't come through for some reason. You find out that they're half. Oh, in this day and age, you know, maybe they're half—they've uh, got some family members that are Muslim or something—and in you know, in George Bush's. World would pass that you know that creates a, a bunch of the problems when when uh, a model that you paid a lot of money for can't get to the shoot because they're held in immigration or uh. when uh weather crops up and uh you can't get to the shoot on the day you were supposed to when everybody else is sitting there waiting to their thumb so from a logistical standpoint, it always amazes me that we're able to. Pull these things off because anytime you try, you know, just there's so many variables that it's shocking when they all, when the moon, I guess, lines up with Venus. we we're, we're uh, it, it's half out of luck. I don't care how much you plan for it.
1: <laughs> that's uh, cool.
0: There's a lot of stuff that can go wrong from a production standpoint for sure. But we, we really, as, as Boy Scouts, as I mentioned earlier, we try and kind of have backups and second backups and third backups and and uh, hopefully, and that's one of the things that I think when commercial, I guess, art fires. And uh, folks that are seeking pros, it's kind of like they're a lot of times buying experience. You know, we want someone right. on the job that is that is going to be able to stop it. That's going to be able to when X, Y, and Z come up, they're going to have a workaround, and their production staff, or you know, they're going to have the right gear for the job. And yeah, you know, truth told, we've all, or I guess uh, I'm, I'm speaking for myself, but I, I, I certainly hope there's a lot of professionals out there who are willing to fess up that. There's plenty of times when you're shitting your pants,
1: going,
0: (laughs) are we going to do this? But, you know, and that's what separates the wheat from the chase, so to speak. You can be able to step up and, you know, get a base hit in the World Series, and that's that's why you get called back.
1: That's very cool. Now, you, you did say something that piqued my interest there for a minute. You said sometimes being a professional involves really having, like, the right gear, not just being prepared and having the experience, but... Are there like I don't wanna say like brands, but is there like stuff that you would like never you know, never go to a shoot without and talk about that? A little.
0: Many, many cameras and many, many lenses. Okay. I, I <laughs> yeah, I mean I wish God, I have a huge admiration for those folks that can show up with the you know, someday I'm just going to show up with a point and shoot and <laughs> see what they say. But until, you know, I, I'm certainly not, not at that point in my career yet. Uh, but there's just a volume of gear, backups, and backups are backups, and backups are backups are backups, and, you know, the number of cords and lenses. And, and I've broken multiple cameras on one shoot on multiple occasions. And the, the Boy Scout mentality that I've mentioned a couple times now definitely comes into play. Like, you've got to be prepared. Uh, and, and some of the things that I wouldn't leave home without are a number of bodies, of camera bodies, a number of lenses. And then there's something that, uh, again, in, in when I'm trying to reveal what goes on in the black box of photography, like I'd never leave home with my right and left-hand men, my you know, assistants, or, uh, and not always men. There's uh, a fair bit of females that, that we have in our organization and that everybody's playing a totally crucial role. And for the photographers, the prima donnas that walk around With their nose in the air, like you gotta, you get over yourself. Uh, It's a team effort, you know. I'm, I'm basically a button pushing monkey. (laughs) I mean, you know, to to try and take a, sure, I'll give myself artist. I don't want to break my arm, patting myself on the back. Though there's so many people that come together in a successful shoot, and not just necessarily commercial. You know, this 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 extrapolates into the fine art world as well. There's a lot of brainstorming that goes on, a lot of creative discussions. We're getting creative input from all over the place, you know. And uh, and if you're saying that that's not important or you're denying the fact that you, when you're on location that you want, your, you know, your A and B assistance is right by your side, then you're crazy, you know. You're, you're self-absorbed, and you need to step out of the, the, the uh, limelight for a few minutes and realize that without the other 29 people standing around you it's going to be really hard to take a good picture so equipment gotta have gotta have plenty of cameras plenty of bodies and and whatever you have that's crucial to your shoot you need to have several versions of that but then you you can't replace good people good talent on one side of the camera and and good uh technical folks and, and including art direction on the other side of the camera
1: that's great Let's talk about the ninja shoot for a couple minutes, because, man, I got, <laughs> I, got, I got love that. I love watching that video. And then I keep going back to the images that you got out of that session and just be like, man, I wish oh, I Oh, had- <laughs> man, you know,
0: those images, I don't want to interrupt you too much, but those images, like, we really have busted those out in minutes. Uh, and I think Scott, who's our kind of lead in, the, in the, the Photoshop guy, and he's my right hand man, he's been around for 10 years now. We've been working together. We were, it was really like hey man, bust out a couple. Of just let's you know we worked through some post production on a couple of images, but it it happened in a day or two. Cause one we were excited to get that video posted. <laughs> two there was actually I don't know I've I've been asked a number of times who's the other photographer who's in the picture. There's a uh, the Seattle Times or the Seattle PI actually Post Intelligencer. A newspaper photographer and a reporter there, and they were doing a story that day, and and so they actually wanted to run some some of the pictures that we were making in there. So we kind of rushed a couple of pictures through, but uh, God, ask this question again in six months when I'm on the show again, and and then we'll have a a more in-depth discussion about all of the crazy pictures that we were able to make.
1: They they were amazing.
0: Well, they've really only seen the first tip of the brush on the in in post-production, but of course. Having said that, I'm I'm really excited with the material that we were able to get.
1: Yeah, I was I was just having a great time watching. <laughs> Those are models or stunt people, are both that were like jumping off. Yeah, the Yeah, they're actually a like...
0: there are three kind of stars: two males and a female, two two male leads and a female lead. And their background, all of them, is a kind of like an interesting cross section of kind of sports and dance uh, parkour. Which I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's kind of okay. free running. Uh, There's an interesting cross-section of all those elements in each one of the uh, subjects for that ninja shoot. Alyssa is just a great athlete, and, and you know she's really, really great-looking and, and uh, follows direction extremely well, and, and, and she's just got an incredible, incredible figure. And basically, you say a jump, she says how high. And she didn't have any kind of martial arts experience, but we, we uh, were able to kind of coach her through just based on her general athleticism. And then the other guys, they both have martial arts experience. They're both very involved in the parkour community. And, you know, they do, you know, jumps and flips and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, they were a natural, and I had actually shot them for a different assignment. Uh, one of my, the only editorial assignments I've done in quite some time, I, I met those guys and said, yeah, I'm going to. I'm gonna remember these guys. We're gonna put them put them to work in a different capacity at some point. And, uh, and it was fun. It was fun to uh, cast for it. You know, we had a lot of different options on the table. And I'm, I'm often of the opinion that less is more. And I've, I've been said, wait a minute, less is more. Like why are you then why are you bringing you know, 25 <laughs> people or you know, what, why the dog and pony show? But it's what when I, when I say less is more, it's really about the picture. You know, it's, it's fewer people, fewer subjects fewer opportunities for chaos, and more opportunity to focus on key elements, key simple elements in a frame. And that recipe has really been effective for me over the uh, over the years. And, and, and the Ninja shoot was really no exception. It was kind of like we had three people. We had 12 hours. We had a huge abandoned warehouse. We had a bunch of loose conceptual material that, that we had discussed and kind of Sketched out and, and pulled tear sheets and, and inspirations from, and then we just put all that magic in a room and, and, uh, and some fun stuff came out. And then we had a guy shooting B roll, shooting HD B roll, Cody, he's a full time staffer for us, and you're we able to pull together a cool little video. I'm excited. Yeah, Definitely was quite exciting.
2: While well, we're talking about images and you're saying about less is more, there's another one that's in your. But in your current favorite section, it's actually image number 16. And that may change based on if someone listens to this after the show's released. But it's a shot of a golfer at night in a sand pit. And I have yeah. to say, when I saw this one in PDN, it, I've stopped and looked at this one a number of times. And it's it's great to actually get to talk to you about it because I I absolutely love this shot.
0: Well, and thank love you. It. You know, I, I, <laughs> that that is... Uh... It's a great talking piece, I think, that that picture for a number of reasons, and I think it highlights something that is that drives a lot of the creative decisions for me. And it's what is out there in the marketplace. And you know, when I'm asked to talk at uh, you know at, at schools at the Brooks Institute or RIT or you know wherever, people are saying what you know what drives your your creativity or what is your port- what what drives the images that you like in your portfolio and honestly, it's it's a lot of surveying the landscape and finding out what's not there. I mean, it sounds obvious to some people, and it sounds absurd to others, but truly, like, looking at the industry, reading, you know, the art magazines, and being attuned to the creative research that goes on for stock and, and commercial assignments, and me being a popular culture junkie, you know, on the net and kind of devouring magazines and, and popular culture, what's not out there, and obviously there's a lot of shit out there, so <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it limits what I what I'm interested in shooting for my personal work. But, I mean, truthfully, to when you think of golf, do you think of shooting it at night? Well, certainly not. What golf happens at night? You know, you either putt-putt or the driving range. Well, and even then, golf and night tend not to go together. Right. Uh, and then, what do you think about golf? Well, you think about a bunch of stuffy dorks standing around a tee box watching Tiger <laughs> yeah. Woods tee off. <laughs> no, no disrespect to Tiger, but that, I mean, there are many kind of ingrained ideas in our head about what golf is. And that golf shot that you're mentioning uh, is... Is an attempt at doing something that's not out there. It's not one of those things. So, if if it's normally seen a day, we want to shoot it at night. If it's normally seen by a, a, an old, kind of slightly grumpy-ish guy with a you know who's squinting and lining up his putts, then let's put a good-looking you know 32-year-old in there. If it's typically on the middle in the middle of a flat green country club, you know, average income 1.1 million dollars, let's make it gritty. Let's let's. Take away all the green and make it black. Let's reduce this motion, this athletic motion, to its ultimate fundamentals, which is a you know swing back and a swing forward. And what are the graphic elements? Well, what are some ways that you know that we can help define the swing in a way that hasn't been seen on ABC Wide World Sports for 25 years? Well, let's put them in sand, and and it really comes about from asking you know, myself and my staff, what's what's not there? What don't we see in popular culture? And, and then trying to do that. And it just makes it a hell of a lot more fun, too. When you're wow. out there, you feel like you're breaking new ground as opposed to uh, replaying, you know, the same old tune. So it it gives us, or it gives me, I guess, it probably gives us as a staff a lot more energy and we're, you know, more invigorated to realize or to hope that we're doing something new and fresh than just being, uh, you know, repeating what you saw in Sports Illustrated last week. And there's a little bit of a catch-22 there because I've often been quoted as saying, compare your work to the work that's out there in the world and go make those pictures or better. And <laughs> right. I think a lot of people fall into the trap, a lot of aspiring photographers fall into the trap of, you know, they see something out there and then they go rip it off and do exactly that. And they say, okay, well, there I am. And, and they don't get the spirit behind it, which is that, if you're able to operate at that level technically, that's more what I'm I, I'm meaning. And, you know, you should compare your images to the images you see in advertising and and in magazines. But what I'm really saying is that it's just the technical aspect of it. Now, you know, fly the coop, go turn that frown upside down, go go turn the world on its ear, and try and make something that you're not seeing at every turn. And if you if something's feeling cliched to you, then it is. I mean, right. if, even if if it if one person on set starts going, yeah, this is kind of like that, then run the other right. way, you know. And and there's a there's another ironic twist to this whole paradigm, which is that when you're out there taking pictures for commercial applications, you don't. You know, you're you're collaborating with art directors and with these brands, and some of them are you know hugely respected brands that have tons of brand equity. That you need to stay within certain guidelines, and and, and if you're out there making these pictures that they want you to make, hey, more power to you. You're getting good money, you're getting tons of great experience. It's a great client, the client list, and and on a human level, you're having a wonderful time. On a creative level, you're selling. That's all great, but if at the end of the day. Or at the end of the month or the end of the year, that's all you've done is shoot what somebody else wants you to shoot. You are going to be on Happy Camper because the more work, the rest of the work that you're going to get is going to be more work that you don't want to do because you've got this book full of stuff that everybody else wants you to shoot. And if you don't set aside time for yourself and you don't actually earmark time, energy, assets, resources for personal work, and that personal work, if it doesn't lead off in your portfolio, then you're going to be trapped in this sick cycle of shooting a bunch of stuff that other people want you to shoot rather than what your brain sees as interesting and progressive and creative. And, and there's this, you know, I, again, I'm always asked about this. What kind of stuff do you put in your portfolio? I put this stuff that's out there that's miles out there. <laughs> and then I get jobs from Microsoft. You know, and and if it's a client or an art director or an agency that can see through this and see through your ability, that actually what you are is a creative, a technically sound creative photographer who can make these crazy images, then you certainly can shoot a guy with a cell phone (laughs) for Microsoft, right? right? And that's, I mean, Ninja is a perfect example of that. No one, last I checked, there wasn't a huge market for Ninja clothing. (laughs) And there's no hip Ninja brand. (laughs) Right, and, Ma- Nike and, does not make ninja shoes, and probably so, not even in the
2: stock market either.
0: Right. I, exactly, <laughs> you know there are no S and P five hundred ninja outfits. <laughs> but if you're shooting these things and you're conceiving of these things, and the art director or the agency or whatever is worth a hoot, they can see through that. They, they, they actually they're admiring that you're going beyond Uh-oh. the Call of Duty that you're actually conceptually visualizing what you want to shoot. In addition to being a technically savvy photographer, so. I always get asked about that stuff too, and i, I can't i don't want to soapbox box it here but that's that's a huge element too uh you know and and I get asked from students and aspiring photographers and like how do you get these great jobs well you you can't shoot what they expect i mean if you looked at portfolios for a living, you're an art director i mean wouldn't you you know how many how many photographs have you seen that were ultra predictable that you know from you know right. from an ethnic Perspective. You got a black guy and a white guy shaking hands. From a, you know, from a uh, a class perspective, you got a guy in a fancy suit helping a uh, a person who's disheveled and has no money. You know, up and they're giving them five dollars. Just these uber cliched images that if. You know, for every art director who's spun through every portfolio in the world and seen a hundred of those, you've got to show them something different if you want to get work, and that's a, a piece of advice, and I'm not not shy in throwing out there. Shoot some stuff that you want to get hired to shoot, and if, they, if there's not that kind of material out there, they'll scale back for you, and they'll find a job that's appropriate for you. If the art director or the agency has a, a wise bone in their body,
1: I think that's awesome advice. It's it's really good for all of us to hear, I think, over and over.
0: <laughs> right, so, and, and, and it, I don't want to come from a, some sort of... Uh, I'm not a talking head, you know. I don't want to come from some sort of ultimate authority. This is purely my own experience because I've found myself after two years looking at what's in my book and saying, God, <laughs> this is atrocious. <laughs> and I've shown, you know. these campaigns that they're supposed to be... Uh, really outstanding campaigns, and that's what's making up my book. Well, if I have to shoot another fill-in-the-blank, I'm going to go insane. Well, if that's what's in your book, that's what you're going to get asked to shoot.
1: Right. That's true.
0: You know, you've got to shoot stuff that's that's interesting and progressive if you you want to get hired for stuff that's interesting and progressive. And the subject matter, it's not a one-to-one relationship. I have not, you know, that Ninja video has been out there for a couple months, and I've got tons of new business from agencies and art directors saying hey, we saw your ninja thing that was the coolest thing since I spread but none of them trust me want to go out and shoot a bunch of ninjas exactly
1: yeah they just want to you hire know? you for the for being creative which is
0: yeah exactly I and mean, there's, this, there's this sad uh, pervading idea that what you see in the portfolio is
1: what you are and boy man right there's so, some weird
0: shit in my portfolio I promise
1: you. <laughs> Let me just ask a, a quick technical question, just so we have a little bit of tidbits for those guys. that are like, "Oh my gosh, how does he how does he do what he does?" If you were going to just kind of approach a uh, a typical shoot, and you're going to go for I don't know, uh, like a typical commercial opportunity, what, what kind of lighting gear would you start with? I guess.
0: Sure, sure, and I'll take it beyond that. I'll push. I'll talk to you. Like what we would what we would take for a typical commercial job. Um. If and typical, they're they're really. That's funny that I use that <laughs> that's word. True, earlier, that's true. They <laughs> I, I use that word, but they're really aren't. No typical. Everything's atypical because everybody's, I guess, special. Uh, all the jobs have their own set of required tools, but it, it, it's very analogous. to If I was asked to build a house, I'm going to show up with a certain set of fundamental tools. I'm going to show right. up with my hammer, my saw, maybe a couple different hammers because you know there's a couple different sized nails out there and and to map that over to photography I'm definitely gonna, I, I'm, I'm gonna show up with a handful of cameras uh, I tend to shoot the Nikon the Nikon digital platform on my H2D as well as the I'm uh, sorry the, the Hasselblad platform on the, the H2D and then the uh, Nikon platform the D2X and a full gamut of lenses uh, and I've got you know a, a few backups on both of those the lighting Elements of my choice are typically uh, prophoto 7Bs. Uh, the the great thing about the 7B is it's a a battery operated pack. So have got a bunch of batteries, and you know, we can shoot in the woods for days if we need to. Nice. And then the, the prophoto D4 pack. That's just a really wonderfully accurate pack. And, you know, we've just got a really short flash duration if we need to to stop a lot of action. And, you know, a whole host of problem-solving equipment, you know, from gaffers tape and a lot of do-it-yourself home stuff to sandbags and light stands and lots of clips and clamps. And uh, I, I like remote camera stuff, so I've always got pocket lizards flying around. Those kind of core essentials, the cameras and the lenses, the, the pro-photo lighting, and then a bunch of rigging and, and grip type stuff, we can we can damn near do anything.
1: That's
0: cool. uh, you know, you get to we're we're doing a job right now, we're traveling down to LA on Tuesday to shoot a job that involves high-speed photography and so for that we've got a whole new setup. You know, uh, we've got multiple D4 packs because those things, when they're plugged in, I think, trip it. You can get down to a 4,000th of a second. Nice. Flash duration. But we've got a laser trigger and a sound trigger. Oh, that's cool. Wire wire up to the camera. So special special jobs definitely require special tools. But uh, generally speaking, with kind of, uh, you know, with the same tools that a, uh, a construction worker would approach a house, I've got my cameras and a couple of, you know, some... Some lights that run off AC power, some lights that are battery powered, and and of course I do love you know kind of in the strobes. I'm not guys are familiar with the David Hobby's site, Strobus. There's a lot of do-it-yourself lighting there, and we employ a lot of those techniques. you know duct <laughs> like duct tape, household bleach, Absolutely. four sponges, and a marble, and you can <laughs> you know you can pull off anything. We we like to keep things minimal when it's possible too. So we'll have a a whole fleet of uh, you know handheld flashes or. Uh, on-camera flashes i don't really use them on camera but we can mount three or four of those puppies to trees and and uh, put them on slave or put them on a uh, a wizard and, and get a lot of really good results with, with not
1: too much equipment so now are you the kind of guy who like loves to have a bunch of different kinds of light modifiers or you would prefer oh, yeah, to use
0: like... there's a, a twofold answer to that Yes, I'm, I'm technically dorky when it comes to camera stuff. I love to, to have new, cool stuff. I love to play around with it. And when something new comes out, a new trigger, a new light, a new you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank, I definitely nerd out on it, and we, we buy it and test it and add it to the arsenal. But oftentimes what I end up going with is really simple lighting, and I think simple lighting done really well, just like a, you know, simple lines and a photograph. They resonate with people. There's something that's just base and raw and kind of core about it. I like to make images that are more simple than than complex. And I mean, look at E equals M C squared. That's a pretty simple formula, right? You get a couple of couple of letters with an equal sign in there, and that actually stands for a whole bunch. And I I would look at pictures like that as well. That kind of the fewer, more simple but strong elements you can put in there, you're you're better off. So. Overall, I like to have that mentality going into uh, into creating pictures.
1: That's excellent. Well, you've you've got some excellent images, and really appreciate you taking over almost an hour of your time to hang out with us tonight and share some of your your insights. I know it's been awesome for me to hear some of those things that you you talked about. So thank you.
0: Hey, my pleasure, my pleasure. And uh, you know, I'll take a second to plug my blog chasejervis dot com slash blog. I'm I'm really interested in not just spewing out to, but hearing back from a community of readers. There's a, a strong community there where there's a good exchange of ideas and a really open, unpretentious forum there that, that has been fun to cultivate. And I've learned you know, as much from the people that respond to my blogs as, to anything that I've posted out to the readership, so uh, keep it coming, and, and thanks for all of the input there. And I think that's probably how you guys got uh, got tuned into this. And uh, and then I want to take a moment to thank you guys for all of the work you're doing. It's just a wonderful resource you're providing. And and man, uh, we all got to stick together. Rising tide floats all the boats. Get out of your dark apartment, photographers, <laughs> and and you know, and start to share some stuff. Put things out there on your on your blog that you used to, to deem near and dear and and uh, give it away and it will come back to you tenfold
1: absolutely that's great advice well that's all we have for this episode of light source the brightest podcast on the internet be sure to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other light source episodes at the website StudioLighting.net. And you can also send us an email
2: comment at studiolighting at gmail.com when you can send us comments, questions, or just images that you'd like us to see.
1: And if you really want to get involved with some of the other listeners to the show, you can head over to the Light Source Flickr group at com slash groups slash source. You can post your images and get feedback on your photography as well as seeing the things that we're taking pictures of. And as always, if
2: you missed any of these links, our quick outro here, you can find all of that and more at www.studiolighting.net. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye.